Welcome to Work Savvy, and thank you for joining us for another dose of inspiration and insights on leadership and self-mastery. I'm Karen Gately, the founder of Corporate Dojo, and joining me is my co-host, Madeline Cook. Thanks, Karen. So on the show today, we're going to kick off talking all about high-performing teams. And to help us unpack this topic, we're joined by Pete Clark, who has joined us before. So very happy to have you back. Pete is a leadership and mindset coach and the founder of 21 Whispers. Pete, welcome back to Work Savvy and thanks for being here. Thanks, Mads and Karen. Pleased to be here and uh, looking forward to chatting to you both and your listeners about a topic very close to my heart. Yes, we knew it was, hence uh, mm-hmm. why we thought let's grab Pete for this one. Certainly know that you do a lot of work in this space and yeah. you and I have a lot of aligned views on this space as well, I'm aware. So let's dive straight into it. Um, you know, what do you think it takes to get a group of people to be a great team? <laughs> lots. Yeah, lots. <laughs> exactly. It's just a small question. A lot, right? um, and, and I'm coming from the perspective slightly off piece for a second you know when people ask us in our field you know how long does it take to create a habit and there's this myth that it's 21 days all that rubbish and you know some research has been done to suggest it's between you know 66 and 200 odd days the best answer i've read about how long it takes to um create a habit is forever yeah meaning if you stop brushing your teeth which you would assume is a habit and you stop doing it it's no longer a habit <laughs> Right, so you're going to keep doing it, right? If you stop showering, which would assume is a habit, and you no longer did it, it's no longer a habit. So with this answer of what does it take to become a high-performing team, lots, if you stop doing all these things, then it becomes you're no longer maximizing and optimizing your team. So all of these things we're going to talk about, you've got to keep doing the work. And you know what I love about your your opening comments here is that um, some of those habits like brushing teeth and showering – there is typically an external motivating force to make sure that we maintain that habit. Hmm. So, you know, people will soon start to step right back from us because we're, <laughs> no, we're no longer hygienic and, and pleasant to be around. So, you know, there's a, there's a degree of being motivated to do it because of hmm. those external factors, whereas things like having a habit around deliberately influencing the success of our team Sometimes the motivation doesn't come until something really goes wrong, you know, and all of a sudden yeah. there, there is a big external force that says, no, now you really need to get this together. So mm. it, it does take a lot of internal discipline to step into that role as a leader and go, this, this is my ongoing mission is to optimise the extent to which this group of human beings are effective. Yeah, totally. And look, that's something I would raise, you know, straight up that often when there's a crisis, people come together naturally. You know, yeah. you know, we're recording this in Australia, you know, way back three years ago now, nearly we had all the bushfire tragedies. And it's amazing when there's a tragedy and such a catastrophic thing like that, how many people come together without an Outlook diary invitation, without a necessarily designated team leader, but they'll come together in a crisis. And when the crisis dissipates, they fall back into old singular individual habits, which Mm -hmm. which I find fascinating. Mm -hmm. So as one of the premises around building and creating a high-performing team, it's having this, not an urgent, always catastrophic mindset, but the value of one plus one equals more than two. Yeah. And, yeah. and almost everyone, I'm guessing, 
Karen, like me, that we speak to, when we ask that question intellectually, do you believe one plus one equals more than two? Everyone says yes. Yeah. But I'm not sure necessarily they're willing to do often unseen work to make it happen. Mm. So they're not willing to manifest the glue, do the stuff behind the scenes to create a fertile environment for this group of people to come together with a singular, clear purpose. Yeah, absolutely. So what does that look like? You know, if I'm, I'm a leader, what's, what's the work I should be doing on an ongoing basis? Well, so when I do work with teams, I often start by asking people the question, have you been in a high-performing team before? And, and I do wonder whether some people's version of a high-performing team is actually high-performing. Yeah. It might have been the best team they've ever been part of, which we can still reflect on their experience, but I wonder how high-performing it was because high-performing for me is a little bit of context and comparison. If I've played Sunday league football and I'm now going to transfer to the A-League or the Premier League in, in England, that's a very different standard of what high-performing means. Yeah. And so taking that in in mind, I often ask, well, I give them the definition that I use of a high-performing team, which is simply, it's a small number of people, usually seven to eight, any more you get uh, diminishing returns, with complementary or synergistic subject matter expertise, skills and mindset, who are wholly committed and countable to a way of working together in pursuit of a common cause. Now, you unpack all of that, there's a number of components in that, that when you look at the bushfires, that happened naturally and organically because of the crisis. Mm. So those are the same components that, for me, make up a high-performing team in a corporate sense. Small number of people, complementary skills and mindsets, 100% committed and countable to a way of working together in pursuit of a common cause. Mm. I think that's a brilliant definition. And when I when I reflect on some of the teams that I've worked with over time that, that are struggling to be effective, I think that unification of what is our purpose you know sometimes the work I'm doing with the team as a starting point is to really clearly articulate what's our job what do we want our job to be Mm. in this organization what impact do we want to have what reputation do we want to build and then how do we actually collectively make that happen Mm. so you know when you can actually get people um, on that same page that okay we're ultimately in the same boat, heading in the same direction, we've got that shared purpose, then we can start to articulate, well, what's it actually going to take for us as individuals um, to behave in ways that are aligned with that collective purpose and that, that collective mission? And I think there's two things you've said in there that are key is that full engagement, that, that sincere commitment to being a part of that team and driving it, And then the accountability around that. You know, I think all too often leaders fail to address some of the derailers in the team, some of the people who do have an individualistic mindset or are undermining that team cohesion and effectiveness. And they might be a strong SME and they might be somebody that does bring a degree of value, but there's not enough focus on relative to to the whole team's success. Yep. And ultimately what that team's striving to achieve. 
And I'll make a small distinction, Karen, between accountable and countable. Yeah. Uh, my, my preference, my, my belief and my experience is accountable is the words that are used, but often that's fear driven and punishment driven. Yeah. And again, you could argue the only thing that we're really accountable to is the law. Yeah. Whereas in the highest performing teams I've worked with and been part of, there's no need for accountability. Yeah. Because everyone's countable. Everyone's kind of gone, yep, I'm in. I've got my hand yeah. up. I'm fully on board here. I, as the leader, don't need to create an accountability framework because everyone's in. Yeah. They're taking ownership. They're taking ownership without being asked to, what, when are you going to do that by Pete? It's Pete going, nope, that'll be done by the end of play today and I'll have this done by then. And if I don't, you know, there's usually a very good reason and there's outliers to it as well, but there's almost, there isn't an accountability issue in the highest yeah. performing teams. Yeah, agree. And when I think about accountability and the coaching I give leaders, um, to your point around, it shouldn't just be around the punishment. Because um, often we do think, okay, if I'm holding someone accountable, I'm punishing them for something that's there's an imposed consequence. Whereas I think just as important is that accountability needs to be both the reward, the recognition, the acknowledgement of what we want. So in other words, is actually an outcome or a consequence for that standard of contribution or the approaches that have been taken. So we're saying thank you to people for taking those rights approaches. We're holding up as a great example of a team member, those who are working towards our collective success. So there's, there's that balance between patting people on the back, reinforcing what we want, and then obviously sometimes there are remedial steps that we need to take if people are not stepping into their role, if there's not that sense of ownership. And, again, the ownership needs to be not just for my own patch and my own individual job, a little square of the, the oval that I'm responsible for. It's the, the overall team's success. And I just don't think we're serious about that enough. Yeah, because in being accountable or accountable for the team success i have to let a little bit of my own success potentially go yeah and the benefit of you know the collective goal is worth more to me than the individual going and you know sometimes you hear it on tv interviews with sports teams you'll say you know the the top goal scorer or the top try scorer you know whoever scored the most behinds whatever it is will say you look it doesn't matter how i performed it's how the team performs yeah and there is a little bit of research, certainly in the Soccer World Cup, to suggest that the the highest goal scorer at the Soccer World Cup is rarely part of the winning team. Yeah. And I can understand why, because I think, again, if we continue with that sporting analogy, you know, some of the greatest contributors to the team are those who are setting up other players to take the best shots. Right. So rather than hogging the ball, if we can put it that simplistically, yeah. they're actually, you know, setting things up so that somebody else can come along and ultimately score the point. And that's often work that's done unseen and unrecognized and unrewarded. Yeah. Hence why for humans that's quite difficult to do. With If, if I'm constantly doing that work that's not seen, recognized and rewarded, after a time I'm probably not going to do it so much. Yeah. So the team leader recognizing that some of the work's done that's seen, but a lot of work is done unseen. How do you assure that that work that's unseen is seen, recognized and rewarded? Absolutely. So to put it in simple terms, you know, when somebody genuinely does take one for the team, you know, there is a, there's a degree of self-sacrifice, um, arguably, in, in order to achieve the team's objective, that that is held up as a great example. 
of, of something that we do want and that we do, you know, again, I think it, it comes back to the way, if I think about some of the indicators of a great team or a great team player versus somebody who's not, you know, sharing in credit, uplifting our colleagues, um, you know, pushing other people forward to take the credit and stepping back in certain moments, you know, those are all of the, well, they're examples of those selfless acts that mean that, that the whole team is more likely to win at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, again, assuming they believe that one plus one equals more than two, which, you know, we would tend to believe. And, and there's going to be situations where the individual contributor probably will perform better than some. Yeah. And yet, more often than not, I think that the the the, the collaborative effort, the the team effort is likely over the longer term to produce more. Totally. And what is it, where my mind's going to now is that if you think about why do um, so-called high performers leave an organisation, often one of the reasons behind that is because they are tired of carrying the load unfairly for those who aren't stepping up. So when leaders fail to address the person who's, you know, the anchor off the back of the team boat, um, allow them to fly under that radar of accountability and minimise their contribution, that has consequences for other team members. And, totally. you know, great team members, great team performers typically want to be in a winning team environment where everybody is stepping up, everybody is playing their role. And as you said at the beginning of this conversation, you know, genuinely signed up, they're, they're countable, they're um, genuinely committed to us as a team being successful. Um, and just in that vein, Karen, one of the habits that I see, sadly, in team leaders predominantly, but also in teams, is everybody knows someone's not performing. Yeah. Everybody knows someone's the the anchor in the team. Everyone knows, for whatever reason, good, bad, or indifferent, that someone you know is probably not best to be here. Um, the the leader that says, "I wish I'd left that decision to move them along for longer," said no one. Yeah, <laughs> I was wondering right. where you were going always, with that. Always, <laughs> always a decision you're going, oh, bugger, I should have made that decision quicker. Yeah. Because they've known for so long and everybody else knows it. And it's like, once the decision is made, oh, you can see a collective shoulders drop, right? Let, yeah. The, the energy is different. And it's amazing yeah. how one person, one energy source in a team is is energizing or depleting. Yeah. It's so Absolutely. obvious. I often ask people, you know, have you ever worked with someone that just sucks the life force out of you because they're near you? Yeah. And, and yeah. most people's response to that is, yeah, yes. <laughs> I've been there, you know. Yeah. And the conversation I have with leaders is you, you need to have an opinion around what impact are people having on the, the collective spirit of the team. So how much energy do we collectively have in reserve that is essential to us thinking, feeling, behaving in ways that are successful? And to not recognise those big drainers um, can be fatal to a team. You know, people start to become drained themselves, their own mindsets become pessimistic or their own behaviours start to deteriorate, they start to be defensive or aggressive or whatever it looks like. But when we do actually remove that, that draining source, as you pointed out, suddenly the team spirit can, can shift. You know, we, we've actually reached a position where we can re-energise and get back to a place of confidence or hopefulness or, yep. you know, um, collaboration, whatever it is. Mm. And 
again, I see far too often that the reason we're not addressing that issue is because it feels too hard. You know, if I actually extract that person from the team, we're going to lose important corporate knowledge or they're a critical SME, it's hard to replace them. And, you know, but at the same time, if you think again about the the team spirit, it's a bit like allowing something to stay that is, you know, deflating your tyres every day and then still expecting that the team are going to win the race. Yep. One of the exercises that at the right time with the team I love to do is it's kind of a live feedback session where it's uh, amongst all of the team members. What, what What does Pete do that boosts the energy of the team and what does Pete do that deflates the energy of the team? Yeah. And for everyone to have that live conversation, eyeballing each other in the same room, at the right time, of course, it's yeah. something that can be really, really helpful. Yeah. Confronting, yeah. but helpful. Yeah. And I do a similar exercise with people. I use a profiling tool often called TMS, which looks at people's work styles and preferences. And in those workshops, often what I'll do is I'll get people to reflect for themselves. What strengths do I bring to the team? But when I'm in hyperdrive and my style is exaggerated, what might I be doing that is a drainer or undermines my own success or the success of the team? And what I find is, you know, because we're all doing this and we're all talking about, A, it's human and normal for us to be less than perfect. So, you know, there's there's likely to be something on everybody's list and it's a safe, respectful environment within which we're having the conversation. The overwhelming majority of people will be really honest about that. We'll actually be very real about it. It's like, okay, well, you know, I'm the results girl. I just want to get things done. I want to get it done yesterday. Sometimes I run out of patience. I can be really demanding. I understand that that can, you know, create tension in the team. So, again, when we have that, that's all own our stuff. We're not perfect. But at the same time, that's all take ownership. For what impact are we having on ourselves, on one another, and ultimately Mm. our collective success? Mm. Then, again, we're more likely to navigate those moments you know, we've got some self-awareness, but we've also got some honest acknowledgement as a team mm. that all of us are going to have moments where we're not at our best. How are we going to deal with that when that happens? Yeah, look, I, I would agree, Karen. The, the addition I would make is I, I think the self-awareness part is maybe 50% of it um, because usually it's the other people that determine how I land on them more than I can. I might know that when I'm under pressure, I, I, I get a bit grumpy and I get a bit task orientated. So forgive me, I'm going to be direct with you when I'm grumpy and tired and you know pissed off. How that lands on other people is their interpretation, which might be more than I am aware of. And I'd suggest yeah. often it is because that's part of their stuff. They're yeah. interpreting the meaning behind the communication, which is affecting their identity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, yeah. the self-awareness part, but also how does that land on you? How? What is it like to be with me? How do yeah. I land on you? That answer can be really revealing for both parties. Yeah, absolutely. I think that speaks um, directly to, you know, that role of coach and the conversations that leaders also need to have at times to build, to help people to build that understanding of what yeah. is that impact. You know, I often talk about the unconscious bully, the person that, just behaves the way that they behave. They don't necessarily have a deliberate intention to bully, but the impact of their actions is absolutely in anyone's book is bullying. And 
you know, often when you help them to actually see that, when they can empathise with that that impact, how they are experienced by other people, mm-hmm. you know, it can be quite an emotional experience for people to realise, wow, that that's who I am, that's how people experience me, that's the impact I have. And I found that to be the most powerful way of, of shifting some of those behaviours is to help them to see why it matters in real mm-hmm. terms. Mm-hmm. This, is, this, is what, this is what it's like to hang out with you. You know, as you were just pointing out. One of the questions that if some, if if a party, you know, if it's two people or a team are willing to confront themselves with it and be, you know, genuine and honest and and listen to the responses, one of the most powerful questions that I've seen asked is for the team leader or anyone in the team to say, what's it like to be on the receiving end of me? Yeah. Yeah. And if, if people are willing to listen and absorb and sit with the responses, God, that can be such a powerful moment that actually brings the team together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's probably not an easy answer. I had uh, you've um, taken me to a conversation with my son today, <laughs> yeah. actually, because he um, he was hanging out with this young woman who what he observed in her was very similar behaviours to the way he is. So so what Cal does is he gets super excited about something and he's a scientist and a philosopher and he's, you know, intellectually really bright but just loves to teach and loves to tell you all about it. And when I say all, all about it, I mean all about it. And he said to me the other day, he said, oh, I was hanging out with so-and-so and she got really passionate about this topic and she was talking about it and talking about it and talking about it, <laughs> it goes, and I suddenly thought to myself, wow, this is this must be what mum feels like when I'm on a roll. Because <laughs> there have been so many times, you know, in his life where I've said to him, Cal, this is really genuinely really interesting to me, but is it going to come to an end soon? Because we've been talking about this for quite some time. Mm-hmm. But the moral story being is that, you know, he could see himself in this young woman and, you know, took his own mind to, wow, that's what it must be like to hang out with me, you know, and I'm really proud of the fact that he could see it, take ownership for it, have a giggle about it, but also own it. And then the very next day he started to tell me, another, or the very next hour, in fact, he started to tell me another story and I could actually see this this shift in, you know, he kept it short, you know, <laughs> he just shared the information and, and moved on. Um, so, yeah, that's where my mind went talking about that. And so... You know, um, what are some of the solutions, you know, so what I'm hearing is let's make sure that we are influencing people to to be on the same page, to have that shared ownership, to fully be countable, as you put it, and um, to understand their influence and their impact to address those issues or those drainers when they come up Mm. you know what are the strategies what are some of the things that that leaders can do to make sure that you know we're helping teams to be more collaborative um so a couple of things well um seven to be precise i've made some notes um the the first of which is making sure everyone pre during and post is clear about the context they're operating in so is it a, is it a revenue generating context? Is it a, an expense co- uh, context? Is it a s- startup context? Is it a you know new strategy context? You know whatever the context is, because context can change our behavior quickly if we're aware of it. So everyone's really clear about where we've come from, where we're at, and where we're going context wise. 
What's yeah. the market doing? What's our organization doing? Have we just gone through a restructure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? That'd be the first thing. The second thing, it would then be clarity yeah. on a number of things like purpose, vision, strategy, ways of working. It is, is where we sit in our marketplace clear? Yeah. Is my contribution and my role clear within this team? Yeah. Do we have a team purpose? Do we need a team purpose? Do we need to even be a team? Or can we operate just as a working group? So the clarity around that and you know, a bit like you, Karen, I often get asked to do team sessions and team alignment sessions. And the two most important things I always get asked to help them with, one is clarity yeah. on whatever they need clarity on. And the second thing, which is the third thing here is connection. Yeah. So connecting with each other, um, head, heart, gut, and soul. And even if you know each other, there's still other ways in which you can connect. So yeah. I understand what's bothering you and you understand what excites me and you understand what pisses Mads off and so on and so on. So it's that connection beyond the head level. That yeah. would be the third one. The fourth I don't think thing anything is, pisses you off, does it, Mads? <laughs> I'll think about it and get back to you. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> She's pretty easy going. <laughs> <laughs> the fourth thing is the one we just talked about a lot, Karen, about um, accountability. Yeah. Um, this reframe on accountability where it's more positive, more hands up, I'm in, rather than holding someone accountable. Yeah. Um, the fifth one is a massive part of what I think gets missed and not enough people pay attention to it is communication. Yeah. And I don't just mean the emails and our, you know, our comms, but when you ask people in most positions, to what extent of the success of your role is down to how well you communicate, yeah. Many of them will say 90%, 80%, 70%. A significant part of the success in my role is down to the success and how good I'm at communicating. And mm -hmm. how often do you practice that? Mm. And they don't. So it's like saying the most important part of my game is taking penalty kicks, but I never practice. Yeah. That's ridiculous. <laughs> exactly. Ridiculous. I mean, my mind, Scott, is that, you know, I think that uh, not all, but a lot of human beings are, are really poor communicators. You know, I think it's something that is really challenging for us to master. Yep. And one of the reasons around that is is our emotional intelligence, yep. you know, and being able to move past some of the insecurities or the, the emotions generally that allow us to communicate clearly, constructively, remain open-minded, keep listening, maintain empathy, so we think about communication in organisations often about, well, did I tell you? Did I share that information? But what's often lacking is did we actually engage in really helpful, robust, healthy dialogue and yeah. conversation? And I think, you know, mastering that art of a really powerful conversation is one of the most important things that we need to do in teams and in business more broadly, in life more broadly. You know, you and I have been doing this for a number of years and every time, every single time I ask a group of people or a team, you know, what are the key issues and challenges that you face? I guarantee you within the top three, it's some sort of communication. Yeah. Well, I, I often point to the fact that every single staff survey I have ever done, maybe that's a slight exaggeration. The overwhelming majority of staff surveys I've ever done, there are two things people say need to improve. One is remuneration yeah. <laughs> and the other is communication. Yeah. Almost without exception. And I think there's an art to that. I think leaders assume that too literally. Oh, well, I need to tell you more. 
stuff. Yeah, that's right. But I've already told you, it's, it's far more, far broader than that. Yeah. And then just to finish the seven, Karen, there's, the, there's contribution. And yeah. what I mean by contribution is, uh, and I, I look at this in a relationship as well, that, you know, if any of you have been married, you know, any number of times and you take the vows, you know, I'll look after you if you look after me. That's mm. a very dependent situation. Yeah. Whereas what if it was, I'll look after me for you as long as you look after you for me. Yeah. There's, yeah. A, there's a different level of ownership there. So I think contribution at a team level is, I'll look after me for us yeah. as long as you look after you for us. Yeah. And so yeah, that's me that. dealing with my own self-care. It's me dealing with my own work-life balance. It's me dealing with all the stuff I'm carrying that I'm bringing into this situation. Yeah. How I'm contributing to the team is more than just how I contribute in a meeting. Yeah. And that's a significant part of it. The final yeah. one is the kind of magic that brings it all together, the kind of fairy dust around culture. That what environment <laughs> what are we creating dust? in this team, in this yeah. meeting? What what gets then cast out into the organization because of what we're talking about here? And it's not, it's rarely direct, it's rarely literal. But the conversation that you and I have in a meeting about a strategy decision actually almost by osmosis filters out into the organization mm, yeah without us even knowing so that's that's yeah. the things i would say for a lead to really focus on context clarity connection accountability communication contribution and culture love it easy as that easy <laughs> voila off you go. Go so easy. <laughs> that's right i just keep doing it that's you right keep doing checking it, it yeah but, but that is, so that is what I find, Karen, is when a new leader comes in, they will do this stuff. Yeah. And then they'll forget. Yeah. Or they'll get busy doing the job. Yeah. Whereas I know, when you know, and I, well, I appreciate, I think, that revisiting some of this stuff on a regular, frequent basis is actually what keeps the wheels turning. Mm. Totally agree. Totally agree. Well, as always, we could literally talk about this all day. We, we did, yeah. feel like we've just uh, hit the the surface of everything we can talk about. Mm -hmm. But, Mads, I'm thinking we probably need to move on to our next segment. Yeah, I reckon it's about that time. So next up, we've got our Mojo in the Dojo segment. Mojo, the libido, the life force, the essence, the right stuff, what the French call a certain I don't know what which is all about energy, confidence and influence. So, Karen, what have we got today? So today we're talking about maintaining your mojo when you are stuck in a rut. Another big one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's your immediate thoughts on that, Pete? Um, one would be to recognise it, which, again, yeah. assuming someone does, that they recognise they're stuck in a little bit of a rut. Um, a couple of things I would suggest is one is probably to get outside. Yeah. Right. Nature has a way of healing, of re-energizing, of doing stuff to us, whether it's, you know, kicking off your shoes and paddling in the sea or walking the dogs or going for a walk in the, you know, whatever it might be, yeah. but it's getting outside. That can often be a bit of a circuit breaker. Yeah. The second thing would be to do something novel. Yeah. Do something perhaps you haven't done before. Go and paint on a canvas. You don't have to be a painter to do it. Go, go and sell the big issue. Go and knit, go and crochet things. You know, <laughs> something that you might have never done before as a circuit breaker to kind yeah. of break the break the rut. Because yeah. you know, the idea, if you keep going, 
you know, it 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 becomes <laughs> becomes the the coffin. Yeah. And so you know, getting That's right. outside, doing something novel. And the third thing, probably, as I've heard many times, one of the best ways to get out of a rut of your own rut is to help someone else. Yeah. Go and do something yeah. for someone else. So we take it out of our own issue and we actually get and feel better by helping someone else. Buy them a coffee. Yeah. Give yeah. someone on the street a beanie. You know, something ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> For our listeners, Pete's uh, referring to a conversation we had before the start of the podcast around my desire. I've suddenly become obsessive about crocheting and planning to crochet beanies for homeless people. And, you know, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think that that points to feeling that sense of purpose. So in my world, the crocheting is a way to just get completely outside of anything that's stressful, outside of anything that's mundane, be in my own little happy place. It's, it feels like active meditation but then there's also something that I'm creating that I'm proud of that I think is beautiful Mm. and then obviously handing out beanies again feels like giving back having a sense of purpose and for me you know I think about okay well what do we mean by being in a rut and for me it's been stuck on that treadmill of life or in the hamster wheel right we're just going round and round and round we're just doing the same things And what we've lost is that spark, those things that give us joy, those things that energise us or, you know, hit us on a soul level where we actually feel like life is going places, I'm actually moving forward or I feel that there is real meaning to this, Mm. um, you know, that I'm I'm making a contribution. So when we find ourselves in that space, you know, I think, as you've said, one of the things we can do is step back, recognise, okay, that's where I'm at and then make a conscious choice to step off that hamster wheel And to do that, it's about, well, how am I going to invest my focus, my time and my energy in ways that give me something, you know, make me um, rebuild that sense of vitality and strong spirit again. And, you know, as again, you've accurately pointed out, nature is incredibly powerful, you know, to be able to um, have sunshine. Clearly, I appreciate that's not always (laughs) available to us, but just fresh air. Um, you know, there's research that's been done around the positive psychological and physiological impact of even being able to see trees and greenery. You know, that, that can actually have a very real influence on, on how we're feeling. Yeah, My own spirit, for example, is uplifted by um, the corgi that you all might be able to hear in the background who suddenly decided to bark in the middle of our podcast. But, you know, stopping and and cuddling the doggos is another way in which I just shake off, okay, I'm in this mundane space, I'm feeling the rut of things, just break away, shift my mind, do something that feels good. Yeah. Um, Often I think people, when when we're in a rut, we start to question what's the purpose, what's the meaning of life? And whilst that's a huge question that philosophers have debated for centuries, um, the twist I would have on it is rather than thinking about the meaning of life, what's the meaning within your life? Yeah. And that can be really small things. And, and as, as an example, you know, some of the work that you and I do, um, one of the little activities I ask groups to do is um, to get their phone and send a random text of kindness to a random contact in their phone. It's part of a workshop and everyone has a little laugh about it. And, you know, within 10 minutes, usually there's a couple of people that have a response. Um, 
here's an example of where I've found meaning with. I'm not laughing at you. I'll explain myself in a moment, Pete. <laughs> Do go on. Yeah. So the, one of the reasons that I've found, you know, here's a snippet of how I found meaning within my life. I only found out maybe a month ago that six months prior, that activity resulted in someone's life being saved. Oh. I didn't know. And I don't need to know. But all you need is just that little glimpse of, hang on a minute. I've done that a thousand times. And I don't know how many, how much impact it's had, but once. And that's all it needs is that little act, that little random text of stupid kindness, this random contact preventing someone from taking their own life. Oh, stop. I'm going to cry. I know. <laughs> and now and now I can't tell you while I was laughing. No, I can't. <laughs> what made me laugh if, um, you know, anyone listening doesn't know who this is, go, go look him up. But Michael McIntyre is a comedian who I just find ridiculously funny. I went to his live show and we went as a whole family and we literally laughed, crying laughter from the start to the end of his show. Anyway, one of the things he has done on one of the shows is a segment called Sent to All, and he gets a celebrity's yeah. phone. Then tell you. It's <laughs> he brilliant. writes this really problematic yeah. text yeah, yeah. and then literally sends it to everyone in their contacts list. It is the funniest thing. So if anyone uh, listening hasn't seen that, go go look it up on, on YouTube. It's just yeah. a massive well, that, that, laugh. There you go. There's a little a little task we can give to your listeners. Grab your phone. And go through your contacts, random contact, and just send them a simple, hey, mate, check in, and how you doing? Yeah. And I was thinking of you and the family. I haven't seen you for a while. Hope all was well. Cheers. Yeah. Send them a random yeah. text. They should probably sign it off with their own name, though, Pete. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. Unless otherwise, it's weird. a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so um, nice. Good idea. It is. it is. All right. Where to now? All right. So last up, we've got our WTF at work. Say what? So today's WTF at work is from Reddit. It's a bit of a long one, so bear with me. So it starts off saying, am I the arsehole for speaking a foreign language at my workplace? A new hire at my work told everyone she could speak Hebrew. As it's not very common, I was so excited to meet someone else that could also speak Hebrew. We often chat in Hebrew in the office and on our lunch breaks. I've had three separate colleagues calling me out and telling us to stop speaking in a different language because they don't understand it. Two of them have said, well, we don't know what you're talking about. You could be gossiping gossiping about us. I've assured everyone we're not gossiping about anyone. It's just a good way to practice our language skills and feel really connected. I don't think we're doing anything wrong, but am I the arsehole? I've seen this one come up a lot in workplaces actually. Yeah. yeah. So as always, I've got, I've got opinions. Um, I like to let my guests go first. Pete, what do you think? It should it shouldn't be a hard one um, because I don't I don't think so. Yeah. Um. uh, I guess that depends, or you know, if if they are gossiping and you know, you know, talking about people in that different whether it's Hebrew or not, then that might be not as conducive to teaming that we're thinking. But that that's a tough one. I I wouldn't say so, but I guess it would depend the content. Exactly. And, th- and that'd be pretty much my answer as well, is it does, the context of within which it's happening. Yep. I think people on both sides of that equation um, can give a little, empathise a little, you know, allow some, some space for individuality. Mm. And I certainly have no problem with people speaking another language around me, so long as that doesn't cause me to feel excluded. 
Mm. So if we, for example, were in a, a team of three people and two of those people spent the majority of the day talking another language, then I actually just think that's inconsiderate because it doesn't leave that third person feeling part of the team. But if we're in a team of 10 people and two people are speaking another language from time to time throughout the day, then there's zero issue. We we don't just have one language either in the world or in our country. You know, I think sometimes in Australia we can have this attitude of, well, English is our language. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, English is probably the most commonly spoken language, but it's not the only language spoken. It's Mm -hmm. ridiculous to suggest that it is. So, again, it's around courtesy and consideration on, mm. on both sides, I would say. Yeah. So, again, so long as these people aren't excluding, so long as they are also participating, that they do have other conversations in languages that other people understand from time to time and they are connecting with their other colleagues and not creating yep. a subculture within the team, mm. then what's the problem? Yeah, in fact, it made me think of the original conversation at the beginning of the podcast around teaming. And one thing I see not enough teams doing enough of when somebody new comes in, giving them a lot of back story to some of the three-letter acronyms, so some of the in-jokes, some of the project names. They don't spend enough time allowing those questions to be asked because it slows things down. Yeah. And ultimately, it, it speeds things up because the new people feel more included and they can be part of the banter. They can be yeah. part of the, the the shortcut language that's often used as groups of people evolve. Mm, yeah, agree. When I was at Vanguard, um, I wrote a dictionary for new yeah. for new crew members um, because the same thing. You know, there were so many industry acronyms, but there were also just business shortcuts, you know, things that we spoke about and what did it mean? One of the standout examples of that was rather than talking about employees or staff, we talked about the crew. And what I started to realize is that some some people took a while to figure out who we're talking about when we talk about the crew, you know, so some really simple language things that again, helped people to understand and, you know, sort of feel part of it, not feel so alien. The other thing I had to explain to people is that um, for whatever reason, as a business, we used to clap a lot. (laughs) So, again, I didn't didn't realise until new people would come in, they'd say to me, what's with all the clapping? (laughs) So so then I started to give people a heads up that, you know, we have this tendency, we'll be in team meetings and we're like, oh, yes, let's clap over that. (laughs) So, again, it was just culturally something that we did. You know, there was a, a strong... Um, desire for us to celebrate, to acknowledge one another and to bring a bit of happiness and celebration or joy into moments that felt super weird and odd to people who had never been in that kind of environment. Yeah. So, yeah, I created a document that said, okay, here's here's all the things, the us-isms, you know, <laughs> the things that yeah. are, are going to happen yeah, in this really environment. Important. I know but, of a, a colleague of mine who um, used to greet everyone with a, hey, what's up? <laughs> which is maybe more relevant if you're stateside maybe not so relevant here but the compelling yeah. response from most people had they not known would be to try and answer the question well nothing nothing what, what, yeah. what should there be something up and really it was just his way of going hey how are you doing yeah exactly and then there are there's so many when you talk about you know um culturally diverse workplaces you know there, there are so many things in terms of the way we use language that can be foreign to one another. Mm. Um, one of the things that Australians say that I always just think so funny is, yeah, no. Well, yeah, no, no, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no yeah. yeah. That's yeah. 
no wonder people joining our community from offshore are like, what are you actually saying right now? But yeah, Mads, bringing it back to our WTF at work, I think the WTF in it is the hypersensitivity that the colleagues are having in that scenario. Again, that's assuming that the individuals speaking Hebrew are also being kind and respectful and connecting with their colleagues. Yeah. As long as they're doing that, then I don't think there is a problem. And I think other people need to be a little less paranoid, you know, yeah. just because it's a different language being spoken. You know, the short version is it's not all about you. Yeah. <laughs> there are other things to actually talk about and there yeah. are other indications of whether or not you've got good relationships mm. with those people. Yeah. Yeah. It's like maybe they've done something wrong and they think, oh, did they find out why they're talking about it? It's like, well, what have you done to be worried about what everyone else is saying about you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I've seen some funny TikToks actually where people have gone to a service provider. The service provider hasn't assumed that their client can speak their language and they've been saying all these really nasty things in front of them about them until they've actually spoken yeah. up using the language yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like awkward and, and it might not even be hebrew I, I know clients who've had teams where it's predominantly male dominated and their way of connecting and bantering is through rugby conversations yeah okay and it, it's not necessarily a gender thing but it can be where the the females don't understand don't want to don't play the game don't know yeah. so it's almost as exclusive as yeah. the language thing, it keeps the same language. It's English. Yeah. But the, yeah. the topic is not yeah, there. I think that's a great and point. And that can be as exclusive. Yeah. yeah. It's like it may as well be a foreign language if you don't Correct. know anything about it. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I just, in those moments, like to make stuff up. Yeah. Start, to, start to pretend. I used yeah. to do that with my kids when they were teenagers. I'd go and research something they were really passionate about and start to randomly throw it into conversations using all the buzzwords that my they could usually tell that I was using it out of context or whatever it was, but I just enjoy doing it in front of their friends. <laughs> like, I'm cool. I know what this is. <laughs> I did it once on a Facebook post with my son. Um, he was into um, some type of music. I don't know. I think it was death metal or something. So I went and researched all these teams, um, terms and then responded on a Facebook post about, you know, get jiggy with the tech death met i think i said <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was the first time that one of my son's friends um declared that i was a cool mum online in writing so i had the evidence so there you uh, go. yeah <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> well on that note um we have actually run out of time we could speak to pete all day every day no doubt and uh, not run out of things to talk about but th pete thank you so much for joining us yet again um remind our listeners where can they find out more about you and the work that you do yeah if you check out 21whispers.com um i do a, a weekly blog a uh, weekly whisper uh, i do various podcasts like this and um if you didn't just check that out you can check me out on linkedin pete at 21whispers.com and i look yeah. forward to furthering the conversation Fantastic. Well, thank you. So to our listeners, if there are any topics you would like us to explore, please get in touch via our website at corporatedojo.com or, of course, any of our social media channels. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Pete, for joining us. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. And don't forget to work savvy.